What's up, my bi's and allies? Welcome back to Bisexual Behavior. Um, you're actually here for a very special episode. I think I've mentioned this before, but um, I'm expanding to have more listener-contributed episodes. So I'm here with Mara, who um, has reached out to me over Instagram. So I'm really excited to have you here, Mara. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Talia. I'm very excited. Me too. So why don't we just start with some light introductions um, so listeners know who we are. My name's Talia. My pronouns are she, her, um, and I am a cis bisexual woman. What about you? Um, my name is Mara. My pronouns are she, they, and I am a um, pansexual woman. Awesome. So um, I must know, what is your most, uh, I normally say bisexual behavior, but in this case, we'll say what is your most pansexual behavior? Um, I would say that my most pansexual behavior is just like being very open to anyone and getting good vibes from everyone. Um, I I don't know if I have one in particular that is the most pansexual. <laughs> so I think we've talked about this briefly uh, when we previously spoken, but you mentioned that you prefer to go by pansexual over bisexual. And I was just a little bit curious about um, what that means to you, like how you define uh, pansexuality. Sure, sure. So I would say that I have defined myself as pansexual since I was probably about 13, 14 years old. Um, as oh, wow. young as, yeah. Um, so as young as I would say five, that's when I, when, you know, you'd get little crushes on people at school and I would have crushes on both boys and girls. And, but I didn't really know that that was a thing that could happen. So I never really explored it. But later on, um, I had someone who's uh, now trans explain to me that at the time they went by pansexual and uh, they explained that you really focus on the person more than the gender of the person. And uh, mm -hmm. even though I didn't really know what that meant until later in life, I thought that that identified me pretty well. And so since then, I've considered myself pansexual. Wait, so you're saying you knew the term pansexual when you were 13 or 14? Or did you yeah. just kind of know? Oh, wait, really? Wow, yeah, so I didn't yeah. even know bisexual was a thing. I must have been really sheltered. <laughs> but that's incredible. Yeah. So I think that um, I've, I have I love making friends and I knew people who were queer at a pretty young age, even if we didn't ourselves know what that meant. Like I said, mm -hmm. um, my friend who um, was then a girl, now a man, um, he explained to me what pansexual was. And I was like, that sounds great. That sounds like how I feel, even though I didn't quite understand the difference between bisexual and pansexual. Um, it just felt right at the time. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, they often will choose a label that just based on like it feeling right to them. And that's why I'm like always like, you know what, it can mean different things to different people. Because a lot of times you hear like, what's the difference between bisexuality and pansexuality? And a lot of times it's like so specific to the individual. So I, think that's um, a really I really, good point. yeah. And I really love the way that you described it, that it's more of like about the person than like the genitals essentially, which is, <laughs> I yes. That's what yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And now as an adult, I feel like I understand more that um, there are sometimes or maybe someone is transitioning and they don't feel either male or female, or maybe someone is born intersex and they don't feel comfortable identifying as either male or female. Um, and when you're not falling into that dichotomy, how do you say you're bisexual if there's, you know, um, this spectrum of gender that we can be interested in and attracted to and want to um, have our lives with? Yeah, I think it's so funny, too, because I think that a lot of people who are bisexual still use that even though they do like more than just like men and women, like maybe it's just they've attached themselves to the bisexual label a little bit more. I think bisexual can just like mean such a vast thing to so many people. But 
that's why I think pansexuality is so great because it, it, it gives another opening for people to really identify themselves and be able to relate to other people in the community. But um, Mara, what I was really excited to talk to you about today, you reached out to me on Instagram and mentioned that you wanted to talk a little bit about your gender identity. And um, so why don't you spl- explain why you wanted to reach out and be on the podcast? Yes, so I have um, started to go by they pretty recently um, because I think that as we start to talk about it more, I've started to expand my understanding of what they could encompass. Um, Recently at work, uh, we have been instructed to just call everyone they, and I really loved that. I really loved taking the gender out of the workplace, and um, I feel that my gender isn't necessarily something I want people to address me by. Uh, I'm someone who I have um, multiple conditions that impact me as a woman, such as endometriosis and another um, autoimmune disease called lichen sclerosis, which affects the structure of my um, genitalia, and so it doesn't look like a typical woman. And so for me, um, when I realized that this structural integrity had been gone, I started to feel like I'm not a full woman. And although I know that's not the case, um, I don't necessarily look like all other women. And it's it's to me, being a woman is a sensitive issue. Um, I think there's trauma behind every woman. Um, we've all been catcalled. Uh, we've all had a Me Too experience. And so mm-hmm. I just really like the idea of taking that power back and um, putting a more neutral term out there that people that I'm not as comfortable with, such as like work associates, um, you know, not necessarily giving them ac- access to that personal part of my life and being more um, a professional presentation. Yeah. So uh, taking a step back, you mentioned an autoimmune disease that you have um, and how it affects your genitalia, essentially. And I think that a lot of people can relate to that because genitalia is different for everyone. But I also there's plenty of intersex people who may either present differently or internally it presents differently. So I feel like what you're saying is very relatable to a lot of people who may not look necessarily the same as everyone else, even though, again, we're all so vastly different. But why don't you explain what that is a little bit for listeners who may not be familiar? Yes. So lichen sclerosis is a rare um, skin condition. It's actually, um, it's not known whether it's an autoimmune disease exactly the source. That's how a lot of people are leaning. Um, But it basically... The skin tears very easily and um, then it ends up scarring over. And so the skin is in this cycle of scarring. Um, And so it is pretty scarred and it doesn't necessarily function the way um, a normal vagina would either. Um, There are a lot of other precautions such as lube. Um, Not that we, (laughs) you know, we could all deal with a little lube. That's fine. But, you know, it just takes a little extra care and time. (laughs) So aside from like the presentation, are there other things that are impacted with this uh, autoimmune disease that you have or? Um, well, it's, it's pretty painful. It can be painful. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that this is something that, um, as women, because I also do identify as a woman, um, this is something that we deal with is that we aren't as readily diagnosed because the structure of medical research has focused on men for so long. Um, So this took me, right, like it took me until I was 22 years old to be diagnosed. And I had gone to the gynecologist so many times and they diagnosed it as uh, a yeast infection on the surface. um, And no one really knew what was going on until I finally met a doctor when I was 22 and it was later confirmed through biopsy. So um, I think that it's been an emotional journey, one being diagnosed, two accepting the fact that I have this 
this condition and I'll have it for the rest of my life, um, mm-hmm. dealing with the pain of it and um, dealing with the fact that I don't look like everyone else and I don't necessarily function like everyone else. And I, mm-hmm. I, I do think that it is more common than people think. I think that this may only mm-hmm. be a rare disease because of the lack of diagnosis. I've had this my whole life, but I went 22 years without becoming another statistic of people who have it. Right. So how long was it that you were trying to get the diagnosis when you first realized that something was going on? Was it years that you were going back and forth to doctors or? So I remember as young as five years old, my mom brought me to the doctor and at the time they diagnosed it as a yeast infection and they thought that I had chronic yeast infections. But looking back, I feel pretty confident that it has been lichen sclerosis um, for Mm. my entire life. Yeah, I can relate in the sense that I'm kind of going through a journey with my doctor too. It's um, more for an autoimmune disease that affects like the skin in my mouth, but like it, they mm. thought it was like oral thrush. So like I kept having to go to the doctor for oral thrush and then the, they're like, no, it, it so it's like I've been going to, like one doctor is like, no, actually you should go to an oral surgeon. The oral surgeon's like, mm, I don't know. And so it's just yeah. like going to multiple doctors. And I feel like no matter what condition that affects so many people that like, especially women where it's just you can go to the doctor so many times and they're still not going to take it as seriously. I know so many people who have gone through a very similar experience, even if it's like vastly different medical issues that they're going to be treated for. And like, especially like black women specifically are like ignored and like treated like they don't actually feel pain or, you know, so I think in college, mm-hmm. I heard the most interesting t- statistic. Um, I heard that Black women are 40% less likely to get breast cancer. Or they're too... <laughs> Let's cut it. I don't remember the statistic. But okay. I'm just saying, in college, I... Um, you know, we found out that black women are diagnosed with breast cancer at a much lower rate, but the rate that they die at is much higher than white women. And I think that comes back to the lack of care or um, Mm -hmm. the lack of diagnoses maybe that are being given out based on what you look like and who you are. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I kind of want to go back to um, how it affects your gender. So you mentioned that you identify as she, they, Um, you know, we've heard of people identifying as they, them, but some listeners may not be familiar with like what goes into deciding to use multiple pronouns. So do you want to kind of like talk about your thought process in that as well? Sure. So for me, I was raised as a woman. And I think that I do have these things that impact um, people who who are born cisgendered women such as endometriosis and lichen sclerosis is a disease although that men do have um an equivalent an equivalent it just goes by a different name um so i definitely feel that i am a woman um but given the fact that i don't necessarily have the same structural parts as all women anymore um i feel they um helps me feel better just about who i am physically and also when i i mentioned you know knowing that I've been queer from a very young age. And so when I was in elementary school, I actually cut my hair short and I had gone by Jason. And um, although I didn't continue that, a part of me wonders if I was raised in the society that we have today, what my life would look like, whether I would be a cis woman or I would have followed that path in my childhood. Um, And so I think that they also helps honor that and helps honor who I I have been at certain points in my life. Um, Although I don't identify as a man, um, I would say that I'm genderqueer. Wow, that's so interesting that it's really looking back in those moments that you can like reflect and be like, man, I was always queer to begin with. So that's really powerful. 
I, I hope you don't mind me asking this, but since you you've kind of you had this diagnosis at 22, how has that affected your dating life? And especially with intimacy, do you find that it's harder to open up to people or have people generally been like very understanding about it? So I did not understand the difference in my body versus um, other people's body until I was diagnosed. And that may sound dumb because you see the diagrams, but I honestly thought all of those external structures such as the... So to be clear about my genitalia, um, I no longer have a labia minora. And so I thought that all of the labia minora... And it can it can be inside. It can be inside people. So I don't want to say that that's impossible. And there are some people who are born without a labia minora. Um, but so that that is gone. And um, once I found out, I was feeling pretty self-conscious, but I was with my now husband. We'd been together probably four years at that point. And so I, he wasn't very impacted by it. It was more of an internal process. Um, oh, but I like see. I said, um, intimacy can be pretty painful. Um, and so finding a partner who's patient with that has been has been amazing for me. Um, you know, just taking it slow, aftercare, and um, stopping when you need to. That's so great. I love when partners can really help someone build their confidence and kind of work through some kind of diagnosis that they have and or some kind of insecurity. And um, it's it's just so nice that you have a partner like that. But in terms of like getting that, so you got the diagnosis at 22. Um, and how did you feel like, have you felt like your doctors afterward, once you got the diagnosis, were helpful in terms of you navigating your sexuality and like intimacy? Were they, did they give you like good advice on how to care for that? Or were they just like, whatever, this is what you have, figure it out? So I will say that most doctors, um, I am amazed if they've heard of lichen sclerosis and my current OBGYN, um, she prescribes the steroids, which can help prevent cancer down the line um, from the constant cell turnover. But um, I wouldn't say that she's an expert in care. And I'm not saying that there aren't people out there, but I have um, had a pretty life-changing experience with my pelvic floor therapist. Um, so oh. I would recommend pelvic floor therapy to, I think a lot of women could benefit from it. I originally went because um, I have the endometriosis. And although I've had surgery for endometriosis, I have what they call refractory pain, um, which doesn't respond to normal treatments. Uh, and so I went to pelvic floor therapy um, to try to manage my pain. And when she got down there and took a look, she said, have you seen this? And I said, yes, I, I, I know. <laughs> I know what it oh looks God, like. What a thing yes. to say. <laughs> Hands spread me open. Did you know this isn't normal? And I said, yeah, I know. I know. And, um, and so she actually has been a lifesaver. She had experience treating women who have experienced um, female genitalia mutilation and helping people recover from that. And so what she will actually do is she will take a metal tool and rub it against the scar, scar tissue, and that will help um, loosen the scar tissue. And because what the vagina is really meant to do is it's meant to stretch. And that right. is what mine does not do because it is scarred over. Um, and so she helps break it up. And so um, she's given me home exercises. So finding a doctor that knew what to do and recognized it has been really empowering. It, ta it can take a really long time though <laughs> to get there. That's great that you were able to find a tool that kind of helps with that. I can imagine that like, so I've heard of people who have like, ugh, I can't, it's like vagin something. Is Va they, vaginosis, I think. Yes. Where they like will get tools to kind of like 
help loosen the muscles so it doesn't hurt as much. Oh, yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. Um, so I have experience with that. That that would be called dilation. And I do that as well. And that helps, um, yeah, stretch the skin. And it can also help um, loosen or relax your pelvic floor. Uh, so that is a great tool as well. <laughs> Wow. Um, what would you rec- recommend to someone who is dealing with um, finding a diagnosis for something or dealing with a particular d- disease that affects you know, their anatomy? What kind of steps can they take that would have helped you as well? I think so often you need to be your biggest advocate. Um, I think that our doctors and nurses are very overworked and um, we need more experts. But if the first or the second or the third doctor isn't right for you, ask for a new doctor. I've had situations where I felt uncomfortable with how a male doctor was not acknowledging my pain. And so I called up and said, I don't want to see this doctor again. Can you please put me with a woman? And um, I would say really follow your gut. And if that's if if you want someone who can put themselves in your shoes, ask for it, even though um, I, I find it's natural to want the doctor to take the lead because they're the authority figure, but it's your life and no one is going to advocate for you like yourself. Oh, yeah, that's such a good point. Um, I feel like every time I go to the doctor, I like freeze up. And even with yes. so the oral surgeon I saw, like I had like a list of things that I wanted to talk about. And I was like, this has been affecting me for so long. I was there for five minutes. Like, yes, I think exactly. I just, like, would not give a shit. It's just, I feel like yes. doctors are, I mean, some are really caring and great, but I just feel like a lot of times they're just, like, trying to reach their quotas. They have, like, a bunch of people to see, which I understand. It's just, it's hard. Yes. But yes. in terms of, like, also your discovery. Wait, I'm sorry. Can I give one more piece of advice? Can, can we go back? Oh, and yes. I can give I'm one sorry. More piece. Yes. Okay. No, no, no. And so I would say that the other piece I would suggest, um, if you are someone who's experiencing some kind of chronic pain, keep a journal. Um, you oh. can get a diary app on your phone and it has the date and you can just, just jot down, I had this pain um, on this day. And what they're looking for is the type of pain and how severe it is. So what I'll do if I know I have a doctor's appointment coming up and I want to avoid, like you said, Talia, um, going in with not much to say, I will take notes and say on this day, you know, I had painful intercourse or something like Mm -hmm. this. Um, And take that to your doctor because it's, um, they can only treat you with the information that they have. And so you need to also uh, try to be your own record keeper to the best, best of your ability. Yeah, it's really hard to be your own advocate. That's something I'm trying to work on, like, going to the doctor, but also in my career and my life. It's I feel like that advice can be applied anywhere. And yeah. Yeah. Um, But also in terms of like your journey with discovering your gender identity, what would you recommend to someone who wants to kind of explore what their gender may look like? Uh, I would recommend um, don't push anything. I mean, I'm not an expert in this. I would say it's been about a year that I've accepted that I am she, they, and I'm not out in all places. Um, If I doesn't feel right to me, if I think that I don't feel safe, then I don't come out. Uh, With my my husband knows, my friends know, um, there are certain family members that I don't think would understand. uh, And so I don't share that part and um, protect yourself and do what feels right for you. Uh, I wish I had more advice, but I am still figuring it out myself. No, and that's like totally realistic and relatable. But I do want to point out, I think that being able to come out selectively is such a privilege. And I feel like as a bisexual person, I really have that same type of privilege where I can be out or, you know, pretend that I'm straight in front of people where I don't feel safe and not everyone can do that. So it's really nice to be able to, you know, selectively come out, which is 
really helpful. As a cis woman passing person, um, I would say that that is the case. I mm-hmm. um, don't face the discrimination that a lot of people do face. But at the same time, I, I don't know if this is the case, but it worries me. Um, well, I'd be taken seriously as someone who right. looks like a woman coming out as she they. So that's something that I've hesitated with as well, because I don't think pe- necessarily everyone would understand it. But me- and I don't necessarily want to explain my choice either to everyone. Um, you know, like I said, being a woman can be painful. And my choice behind not wanting to give access to those painful parts of my life to everyone, um, it, it, it can be a, a tricky decision. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine. And how is how have you felt like how has your husband been with your queer journey as well? Not to bring your husband into it, but <laughs> oh no, 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 yeah, that my my husband. Uh, I think he loves me for me, and um, I think that despite any opinions him or anyone else has um there's nothing you can really do about the truth and this is how I feel so um, mm-hmm. say you know you're with someone who isn't accepting then um it doesn't make your reality any less true. Right, of course. I do talk to a lot of other queer people, specifically people I've interviewed who are in straight relationships where, or I would say hetero relationships where either both of them are bisexual or one of them is is queer and they feel like it's hard for them to explore that identity that they have while they're in a straight passing relationship. Is that something that you feel like you experience? Um, I think that I think that this is something I experienced earlier in life, but I think because I've identified with queer from such a young age, it's been pretty easy for me to accept my sexuality. Um, and I think a part of being pan is really being attracted to uh, a person. So I, I don't feel that there's any wrong way to explore it. Um, y- yes, I'm in a hetero relationship, but um, I, I think that that's a part of my gender identity as well. Oh, uh, what do you mean by that? Or my sexuality as well. Um, (laughs) Sorry. No, it's okay. (laughs) Yeah, so I think that being pan, you know, um, I'm open to all sorts of different people and I am in love with a man and that's okay. um, I don't think that it necessarily takes away from being pan. That's so cool because I feel like a lot of times you know, again, like I, I go on TikTok a lot and I'll see a lot of like women be like, oh, I feel like I'm not valid because I'm married to a man and I'm like trying to utilize TikTok as like a queer space and people, you know, like will kind of like bash them on it. So it's nice that you are feeling confident and who you are and no matter who you're dating, that that's who you are. And I feel yeah. like that's something that's really achieved too. And I think it must like really come with time of just, as you mentioned, you've been out as queer for this long and knowing who you are that it must be just like after a while it kind of just you don't feel those same insecurities maybe yeah so I I will say I um I had a long-term boyfriend in high school we dated for three years and uh during that relationship I questioned is this right is this who I really am I was a part of the gay straight alliance um and so that was a really great space for me to help like explore these things uh but I feel like so often with aging, um, we start to let go of how people feel about us like a little bit more, you know, each day. And so I think uh, <laughs> over time, like you said, I've been, I've acknowledged I've been queer for quite a long time. Um, and so yeah, now I'm feeling, I'm feeling good about who I am and about my relationship and what it means to me. That's so great. Is there Thank anything? You. 
else that you'd like to share with our listeners about your journey? Um, I think I just want to say that if you're struggling, uh, there are always resources out there for you. Um, if you feel that you're in a bad place, please go see your doctor um, and know that even if you don't have a direct support system in your life, there are people out there and um, you can help yourself and it, it can get better. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Mara, for joining on the podcast. Um, it was really great to have you and just to learn more about what you experience and how that really affects your gender and just being so open. I really appreciate that and admire how open you are with it all. So uh, before we wrap up, um, I just, you know, uh, follow bisexual behavior on all of the social accounts. We're on Instagram at bisexual behavior. You can rate and review and subscribe on Spotify and Apple podcasts. And if anyone is interested in being on one of these listener contributed episodes i'll think of like a fun name for it later head over to bisexualbehavior.com um, and click on to share your story um, that's where you can submit an application to either be a guest on the podcast you can also share your story and have me read it if you'd like there's other ways to share stories or if you want to ask a question to have answered on the podcast you can submit it that way as well but thank you again i'm really excited to have more people on and really learn more about all of these individual stories and how it impacts their sexuality but um thank you again mara thank you so much for having me talia i had a great time me too 